The Holy Gospel for this seventh and last Sunday in the season of Easter comes from John chapter 17. Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I confess to you that sometimes when I read the book of Acts, as we did in our first lesson this morning, the stories it tells feel very far away. We often hear about cities and towns that don't exist anymore except in archaeological digs and museum exhibits. We try to pronounce names like Thyatira and Elamites and Pamphylia and Ananias. The book of Acts strikes fear in the heart of every assisting minister. And the Holy Spirit speaks so clearly to people in this book, telling them to go here or don't go there, to talk to this person or visit this house. And as someone who has never heard the voice of God quite that clearly, I find myself occasionally baffled and sometimes, to be honest, jealous of such certainty. But other parts of the story don't feel old and dusty at all. They feel as if they could have happened yesterday or as if they are happening right now down the street. And today's story might be one of those. The story we read earlier has two parts. In the first part, Paul and Silas are being followed around by a slave girl who has a gift for telling the future. We know almost nothing about this girl. Not her name or her age or how she ended up as a slave. All we know is that her gift, says the story, brought her owners a great deal of money. Well, we know one more thing about her, which is apparently that Paul and Silas find her so annoying that they cast the spirit out of her and her gift disappears. So, by the way, does the money that her owners are used to making. Here's another thing we don't know about this girl. What happens to her? That's all the story says. The spirit is cast out and she disappears. Never heard from again. As a slave, we would know that she has no rights. She's not even a citizen. She doesn't have any way to make a living or try to recoup the money that's been made off of her. Paul and Silas go on their way, and the story turns our eyes to them, but there is still a question. Whatever happened to that girl? Well, that's the end of part one of the story. 
In part two, Paul and Silas are dragged into the marketplace by the slave girl's former owners who are eager for revenge on the men who have cost them their paycheck. They throw Paul and Silas in prison and fasten them with chains and lock them behind bars. About midnight, Paul and Silas are singing and the other prisoners are listening to them. When there is an earthquake, everything shakes. The chains and the bars and the ground, everything cracks open and Paul and Silas are given the chance to run. Who wouldn't? Clearly, this seems like the intervention of God, a miracle meant to deliver them from a completely hopeless situation. The jailer runs into the room, despairing, sure that the prisoners are gone, sure that his life is no longer worth living, when Paul calls out from the darkness. Don't hurt yourselves. Don't hurt yourself. We're still here, he says. The jailer is stunned and asks, what must I do to be saved? Or in another translation of that word, what must I do to be healed? Paul and Silas invite him to follow the way of Jesus, and the jailer and his whole household are baptized right there in the middle of the night. That's the end of part two. There's a lot of amazing things in the story. A lot of people are changed. The slave girl is freed, although at a pretty high cost for her. Her owners are changed, although they're not happy about it. The crowd of people is changed from curiosity about these disciples to rage that this way of Jesus might have significant economic impact. The jailer is changed from terror to hope. A whole family has to get up in the middle of the night to be baptized. But there's another change, too, that we're more likely to overlook. And that's that Paul and Silas are transformed, too. Not long ago, I saw a commercial for, of all things, a Danish television station. You know, like you do. The commercial starts off in a room full of people, all strangers to each other, sitting and kind of waiting for something to happen. They're not sure what. Checking their phones, looking into space, kind of glancing at each other and looking away. The room is a little awkward. A voice comes over the picture and says, these people have a lot to talk about. They just don't know it yet. Pretty soon, all this group is led into a big open room. A woman comes out and welcomes them. And then from the group, she invites two men to come forward. They look at each other a little suspiciously. Then she says to one of them, You live right now in, an, in a nice house on Winkelhaud Street, yes? And the man nods his head. Your house, she says, was the childhood home of this man. And suddenly they break from suspicion into smiles. The man who grew up in the house says, oh, I remember playing soccer in the backyard. And the man who lives there now says, I bet we play soccer every day all the time. And now the sort of frosty suspicion has melted and everyone is smiling and laughing. 
Gradually, one by one, they are brought up, every person in the room, and they discover a very real, specific way that they are connected to a stranger in that room. A woman meets the midwife who delivered her. Another woman meets the man who happened to be standing next to her husband on the street when he had a heart attack and gave him CPR and saved him. Two teenage boys who've been playing an online video game together for four years actually meet in person. A young Syrian refugee couple meet an elderly Danish couple who became refugees during World War II. And then that elderly couple meet a young woman who turns out to be the great-granddaughter of the man who saved them. One by one, pair by pair, they come up to the front until they are all now standing in a circle, looking at each other, realizing that there are no more strangers in this room. And then the voice says, it's easy to mind your own business. It takes a little more effort to mind the community. It's easy to mind your own business. Well, in part one of this story from Acts, that's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing. They don't free that slave girl because they care about her or want the best for her or see in her a fellow child of God yearning for freedom. They free her because it's best for them, because she's irritating them, because they just want to get rid of her. And they do. She disappears from the story. Like so many people, she's treated as, as if she doesn't matter. She was just in the way. We never even know her name. It's probably fanciful thinking, but I'll do it anyway. To imagine that maybe something about that girl haunted Paul and Silas. Because in the second part of this story, they're given another chance. They're given an opportunity to mind their own business and do what's best for them. And when those bars crack open in the jail, to take off running. But they don't. They stay. Maybe the dumbest, most foolish thing they ever did. They stay. And because they stay, they talk with the jailer. And because they talk with him, they realize they, they all have something to offer each other. And they become a community to each other. And everybody's saved. Everybody's healed. Not just the jailer. And not just his household, but Paul and Silas too. Because this time they turn toward the stranger instead of away. And they find out there weren't any strangers in that room to start with. It's easy to mind your own business. It's harder to mind the community. In that spirit, let me tell you one more true story. This not an old one at all. In 2004, a family fled from violence in Bogota, Colombia. The wife and mother of this family was a school principal there. And when guerrilla fighters came to campus to recruit her students to join the army, she sent the, the guerrillas away. 
Because of this, they threatened her life and the life of her family. And so the family fled to the United States. They applied for asylum. In 2009, their asylum application was denied because they couldn't produce a police report of the incident. It turns out that police reports of that kind of experience are rare, as either the police are in on the scheme to recruit the students, or they are just as terrified of the guerrilla fighters and don't want to put anything in writing. And so with no way to go home and nowhere else to go, the family stayed. Their daughter applied for the DACA program, which protected her as a child who had been brought here underage. In 2013, the mother graduated from the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago and became an ELCA Lutheran pastor. She was serving part-time as the pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin. Her husband was a mechanic. Their names are Betty Rendon and Carlos Hincapi. They had no criminal record of any kind. On May 8th, just under a month ago, Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials entered the home they own near Chicago and forcibly took them into custody. Their requests to have their case heard were denied. On May 28th, last week, with no chance to see their daughter or their granddaughter, they were deported to Colombia. They are not allowed to return to the United States. And their now-grown daughter, who's still protected by her DACA status, is not allowed to leave the United States. So they may never see each other again. It's easy to mind your own business. It's harder to mind your community. But today in Acts, that's just what Paul and Silas learned to do to stay and turn toward the stranger instead of away. To see in the person they might easily have believed an enemy, a fellow child of God. We see in the story from Acts today what happens when we do only what's best for us, what's least controversial or convenient. We see what happened to that slave girl when Paul and Silas did what was best for them. She disappeared. And we see what happens when Paul and Silas looked at their chance to run, their second chance, and realized that their freedom alone wasn't enough. That that jailer was just as bound as they were. I'm telling you the story of Betty and Carlos not because it's political but because the story of what happened to Betty and Carlos last week is asking us the same questions that this dusty old story from Acts asks us too. What happens when we turn away from each other and mind our own business? And what happens when we take a deep breath and turn toward each other and grab a stranger's hand. Which one of those shows us the face of Jesus? 
And which one of those choices breaks the chains that kill us all? What must I do to be saved? Asked that jailer a long time ago. Turns out it's not such a dusty old story after all, is it? Amen.